in three years, and write this down, I'm making a prediction here. In three years, I would expect our inflation rate to possibly be negative to a disinflation area. Why am I saying that? Well, if we look back at what happened right after World War II, that's what we saw. We saw a big spike in unemployment like we saw in the pandemic. We saw people getting educated like we saw in the pandemic. We saw people going back to work in mass. Inflation took off. And then we see the people actually building things that they got hired to do, bringing the prices for those things down. So that's, that's what I expect to see here. And I realize that we're kind of the lone voices yelling for that right now. So see if we're right. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. That may be a little aspirational for me to be talking to boys and girls on a Saturday morning in an economics radio talk show, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is the Personal Wealth Coach, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking, or I'll be talking today uh, about all things economic from personal finance up to the massive global picture um, or picture. One of them is worth a thousand words, something like that. Uh, This is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we've got some disclosures that have to come out at the beginning of every one of our episodes because um, I'm sure there's good reasons. (laughs) Uh, The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the name of this program. And the guy talking to you, Jake McClure, is not only a a radio talk program host. The Personal Wealth Coach is also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Now, what does that mean? Um, When you have a certain amount of money that you're advising on, they require you go to the national or federal level rather than the state level. That's all it means. It's a regulator. Um, It's the firm, the Personal Wealth Coach, is registered... As an investment advisor, which means that we give fiduciary investment advice, and that means that we really need to know the person we're talking to, we need to understand their position, what they what their opinions are, and what they're trying to achieve, then we have to have expertise in the area that we're giving the advice in. So that's a lot, and it's totally impossible to know everybody that's listening to me on the radio right now. I wish I could. Uh, it, I, I would very much like to be sitting there wherever you are. You probably wouldn't want the bald guy with the beard to be sitting with you at this moment, though. Um, I don't know. You're obviously weird if you're listening to me anyway, so I, maybe you would enjoy my presence. Uh, the uh, SEC doesn't give affirmation, approval, or any other positivity in its registration process. It just says, okay. So no um, hint of their approval should be implied because someone's registered with them. They require us to say something. I don't think they wrote it exactly the way I said it. Maybe, maybe that they would feel a little bit sad about me saying that they're not into affirmation. But uh, I'm sorry, SEC, if, if that's the case. Uh, but you're not into approval at, at any rate. Um, what's next? Uh, we don't pay for this radio program. It's not paid commercial programming. 
Uh, we do buy advertising on the station for the program, but the studio does as well, if you can call buying from itself buying. Uh, we're in a partnership that's lasted since 1996 with the radio channel. It's been through three, no, two different studio locations and a lot of different owners during that time period. And we're still here for some reason. I don't know if it's because we're just really stubborn. They can't find anybody else to take the slot or you guys like us. Not sure which. Anyway, uh, not paid for. The stuff I'm talking about here come from sources that I deem to be reliable, that we have looked at and done research into their, their due diligence to make sure that what I'm reporting has at least as much likelihood of being correct as anything reported in the media or statistically. And you'll hear us <laughs> over the years talk about how inaccurate even the most accurate data is. So that's the big uh, disclosures. Now on to what happened this week. Wait, there's somebody missing. Should I acknowledge the, the uh, gentleman who's not in the room? Jeff, my father, Elder Baldy, is on vacation. And so I am running the, the program alone. If you would like to help me today, you can uh, send emails to jake, J-A-K-E, at tpwc.com. That's jake at tangopapawhiskeycharlie.com or the personal wealth coach. And I will endeavor to answer your questions on the air. So what's happened this week? This last week has been, ooh, um, it, it, the, according to the headlines, the world came to an end eight or nine times this week. Um, and if, if you're, it really depends on which part of the market you're in for those headlines to be completely accurate or completely inaccurate. Uh, the S&P 500, which is, we, we look at this because it's so commonly followed by so many people, we look at it as a pretty good representation of the market as a whole. It is overly weighted in tech stuff, but it's a good representation. It's got a lot of problems, but every index does. And everybody knows what it is, so it's easy to, to comment on. It went way down this headline-grabbing week. Uh, it almost hit the definition of a bear market. It was almost down 20% on Thursday. But then it powered back up above the 4,000 level on Friday. It's closed out the week at 4023.89. That's down almost 2.5%, 2.41% for the week. It's down 15.57% so far this year and about 3.59% from 12 months ago down, which when you look at it a year out, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. But a lot of people jumped in at the top of the market uh, from November to January and are feeling rather upset that they did. So the market is down. It's not quite into bear market territory on the big picture. But uh, there are other indexes that we'll talk about. The first one is one that is more conservative. It tends to be slower moving up and down. Uh, the CRSP mid-cap value index. That This index comes out of the University of Chicago. And it ended up this week, or down this week, 
uh, 2426.83. That's almost 2% down, 1.86% down for the week. When you compare that to uh, 2.41%, you can see it's a little bit slower on the fall traditionally. Uh, it's down 6.57% for the year, where the S&P 500, again, 15.57%, much larger. And about 2.16% down from a year ago. So in all aspects, it hasn't felt the hit quite as hard as the S&P 500. But we can go a step farther if we want to talk about hits. Uh, the NASDAQ uh, is down about 24.5% for the year. It is solidly in bear market territory. Uh, the tech part of the market has been pummeled. If you're at all into cryptocurrency, you're feeling some pain right now because that area is down in excess of 50% at this point. Okay, the bond market benchmark, the 10-year U.S. Treasury note, fell, the yield fell. This is a little bit different. This is the first week in quite a while that the interest rate fell. It dropped about 6.4% to end up below the 3% mark. It's at 29 percent or so. Um, the yield curve still looks good. What is that? Uh, when you have a, a loan that you've given somebody and it's uh, a long-term loan, you've, you're out some money for a long time. If you give somebody a loan, say, hey, pay this back tomorrow, you're likely to do that for a friend kind of for free. Banks do it pretty close to for free. Uh, overnight lending rate is what the Federal Reserve moves up and down. But if you're trying to give somebody a loan for 30 years, you probably want some money for it because you're putting your money away. You can't touch it for 30 years. And it has uh, it, it should be giving you some benefit beyond what you would get if you loaned it for five years. So interest rates traditionally are higher on the long term and lower on the short term. And when that's in effect, we call that a positive yield curve. If people are paying less for really long-term loans than they are for short-term loans, we call that an inversion. And that's usually a really bad sign for the economy in the future. And we don't have that. It's a very nicely positive yield curve right now. So even though the market is, uh, is jogging downward at, at quick speed, it is the only indicator out there that's in the leading indicators uh, that's down at this point. All of the other major indicators are, are pointing upward. So this is good news kind of across the board for the economy. The market is, a, is one of the leading indicators, but it is right about a recession about two-thirds of the time. So there's a third of the time that it calls a recession which would be like a bear market, um, that, that it is not correct. Two-thirds of the time, it's correct. When it's alone and it's calling for it, it's, it's never been recorded to be correct. It's alone right now. So those, those are two, like, go to the doctor, get your temperature taken, you don't have a fever type things. All right, you're, there may be other things going on right now in the economy, but we don't have a fever. It, the, the simplest metrics are saying, all right, we're still fairly healthy. That's not all the news that's out there. We got a lot more to talk about. Consumer price index, inflation is 
put air quotes around this down um, last month. It really isn't down. It's up, but it's not as much up as it was the month before, if that makes sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to economists either. either. That's why people say um, it's down when it's really up. Yeah. I said I was going to tell you about problems with statistics. So inflation is at about 8.3% um, compared to 8.5% in March. That's a, that is an acceleration rate. That means in, inflation is not accelerating as fast as it was. It's still going faster than what we had last year. Uh, at the beginning of the hour, I talked a little bit about uh, the leading economic indicators. Um, one of the leading economic indicators uh, and this is the conference board puts puts this together. It, it's got ten things that are being tracked. Um, one of them is the stock market, and one of them is uh, well. I'll, I'll, I'll quick run off what the ten are. People ask me this regularly, so I'll just say it. Um, the The average number of hours spent, average hours spent in manufacturing. If that's up, that means more. Time is being spent building things. That usually means something's already been paid for. Uh, average weekly initial claims for unemployment insurance. So the initial claim uh, is, means that uh, they've just been laid off. And the number of weekly claims, if that starts heading upward, that's a negative sign. Manufacturers new orders for consumer goods and materials. Um, that is, hey, people are buying stuff. Is that up or down? The ISM index of new orders, the manufacturer's new orders for non-defense capital goods, excluding aircraft. So these are things that we quote to you pretty regularly on the air to tell you what's going on. But the one I'm about to talk about is building permits for new private housing units in the last um, or the last several uh, S&P 500 index the leading credit index, and the interest rate spread for 10-year treasury bonds less the federal funds rate. So those seem kind of complex, but basically we're measuring orders for new things and what the interest rates are on loans for those new things and what the stock market thinks is going to happen and how far behind people are in their debt. So we're going to talk about new private housing. Because as a component here, it's really big for growth. A new house is one of the single most important additive pieces to the economy. A new house being built, particularly a custom one, has a multiplying effect on money. Um, and if money's easy to get, you can get too much money if you buy too much money being inflation. Too much money um, for not... If you're giving somebody a raise for not producing more, but just because they're there, because you have enough money to do it, that's inflationary. Okay, so what's going on with new houses? Um, and this comes from Fred. Uh, that's the Federal Reserve. Um, and Fred has been tracking new privately owned housing units authorized in permits. How do they get that? They call counties. They call... Uh, municipalities, or the municipalities just file it directly with them. And what we see is that new housing starts are up. 
we had 1.87 million new houses get permits in March. Uh, that's a lot of houses. Uh, that, I mean, if you think of just one month, one point, almost 1.9 million new houses getting started. If you think we have 320 million people living in the United States, and one month we're making almost 2 million new houses, uh, that's a big chunk if we kept that up. That's almost 10% of the new houses in one year uh, for the population. N- we don't all, you know, we don't all have our own home. There's not 320 million homes out there. So you have to break it by household. This is a large percentage annualized of the household population. Where this is a replacement level. So when I was saying earlier the vacancy rates way down, builders know that. They're going to build houses so that they can make more money building the houses. So building houses is way up right now. Is it as high up as what we were seeing in 2006? Nope. Um, in 2006, we were at the, uh, let me see if I can get a number on that. In um, right around August of uh, 2005 was the peak at uh, 2.2 million houses in one month getting permits. And then we had a slow slide after that of fewer and fewer houses being built because the housing market had too many houses in it. Uh, When you have too many houses, again, supplies high, demands low, housing prices go down. We had a lot of extra houses that caused fewer houses to be built for a long time. There's a period from uh, 2009 through uh, 2011 that we consistently ran about 600,000 new houses being made in the entire country per month. We're significant, we're, we're significantly higher than that today, three times that number today. But we had a long period where we just weren't making a lot of houses, which led to all those extra houses getting filled up with added population because our population's grown over the last decade. And this is a 17, 16 year period at this point where you're where the population has had that long to grow and we have not been replacing the houses. Now we are. We're up at that level. In fact, you can if by looking at this graph, we can see that um back in January of 2021, we got up a little bit higher than where we are today with new houses because during the pandemic, we just dropped the number of houses that were being made massively. People couldn't get the wood because everything was shut down. They couldn't, and if you recall the price of lumber at that point, shooting way up, all this stuff based on supply chain issues messed up what was a gently rising slope of new house production. So a lot of people lost their jobs in the housing market during the pandemic. And when hiring started back up, it started back up in other fields first. So a lot of people changed professions. We have fewer people working in housing now. We're still making a lot of houses, not compared to what we did in the early 2000s. So we're back making about as many houses as we did in 2001. Um, And that's, we've got a lot more people today than we did then. So we're not in a bubble yet. That was a lot of words to come back to. We still don't have enough houses 
Maybe in a year we'll have enough houses. There are certain parts of the economy, certain parts of the country, where the houses are being built faster, which means those areas might start to see their house prices go down before then. Uh, we're already starting to see less competition in the housing market because interest rates are up, and, and they're up enough now over the past several months that it's a significant, the average new house costs $600 a month more in your mortgage payment than it did five months ago. So $600 a month on is a significant percentage of that. So we've gone from about um, $1,900 a month on average to $2,500. That's huge. That means that people are not jumping in there and trying to buy as quickly. And at the same time, Interest rates going up means that for those companies that have been buying houses with cash because they have it on hand, well, why do they have it on hand? Because interest rates are so low, they don't have it anywhere else. They want to put it in the housing market. Well, as interest rates are going up, they may want to make it a loan to somebody instead of buying an actual property because they might get paid more for that. The interest rate's higher. So that starts to pull money out of the housing market to go do other things with it because interest rates are up. So if you look at all of the things that are in the works right now, there's nothing permanent about any of this structural pricing change. Inflation, it's going to last a while and we're gonna be, it's going to be bumpy while we're going through it, but this is not something we, could, we should expect as the new normal in our lives there's too much being made here that wasn't being made here before. That movement back of our supply chains back to the United States is underway at full speed, and we're beginning to see some of the benefit of it, just the very tip of the beginning of it that we're beginning to see now. In three years, and write this down, I'm making a prediction here. In three years, I would expect our inflation rate to possibly be negative to a disinflation area. Why am I saying that? Well, if we look back at what happened right after World War II, that's what we saw. We saw a big spike in unemployment like we saw in the pandemic. We saw people getting educated like we saw in the pandemic. We saw people going back to work in mass. Inflation took off. And then we see the people actually building things that they got hired to do, bringing the prices for those things down. So that's, that's what I expect to see here. And I realize that we're kind of the lone voices yelling for that right now. So see if we're right. And we're about almost out of time for this hour. Uh, hopefully you've enjoyed my soliloquy, my long-winded rants about uh, trivial items that most people don't care about. Um, but if you'd like to talk to us off the air, we do give fiduciary customized investment advice to people of high net worth. Uh, and the local number is 254-947-1111. Or you can reach that line toll free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. We've got newsletters there. You can sign up for them or read them there. Uh, you uh, can listen to our radio programs going back lots of years. You can find our podcasts anywhere they're around. You can use the contact form 
or email directly at jeff or jake at tpwc.com. We read those things. Uh, Until next hour, this has been the Personal Wealth Coach. Thank you very much for listening.